you know, I, I am very excited, um, honestly, to tell you the truth, you know, of what the Lord is doing, because I truly uh, sense that the Lord is, you know, stripping the church down to the bare bones of what the church is. And um, yes, it is good to to have a building. It is good to meet in that matter. And I'll, I'll have a little bit of an update about that uh, after the service uh, this morning. But, you know, the reality is it, it's it's us and the Lord. That's it. You know, all the all the other stuff is they're extra things. They're good things, uh, whether we have them or not, whether we have, you know, a backdrop with, uh, you know, all kind of audio visual stuff, whether we have, you know, uh, music physical equipment or not, it's not about that at the end of the day. It's about um, hearing from the Lord and again, making sure that our hearts are right before him. So I think as long as we maintain that and Jesus Christ is the center, um, it really doesn't matter what the external things look like. It's more going to matter about what is really going on in your heart and my heart and what the Lord is revealing to you, you and me. And so um, with that, we'll go ahead and get into the message this morning. Uh, we will be in Acts chapter 19, and we will going, we'll be going through verses 1 through 11. I'll go ahead and share my screen. Uh, if you don't happen to have uh, the verses on hand, or if you don't have access to a Bible, hopefully you do because you're in your homes. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> anyways, we will be in Acts chapter 19. We'll be going through verses 1 through 11. Uh, this morning. So I'll go ahead and pray, and then I'll read our text and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again for just the opportunity to be in your word as a collective, as uh, the body of Christ, and to hear from you, Lord. We are expectant that you will speak to us, Lord. Your word is uh, living and active, and it is applicable in every circumstance in our lives, Lord. And so we know that today, right now, you have a word for all of us wherever we're at, and you will speak clearly to us. Lord, help us to uh, be able to understand your word, to rightfully divide it, and see how it can be applied to our lives. So again, Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1 down through 11. And it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pont uh, Pontus, recently from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Verse 8. Crispus the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. 
for I am with you and no one will attack you, uh, attack to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and seven months teaching the word of God among them. And I've entitled this message this morning, The Mission Field. And this is what we see, the mission field of for Christians and specifically what Paul's mission field was here in Acts chapter 18. This marks for as we kind of go along uh, in in the order of the chapters, this marks the, the ending of Paul's second missionary journey and the start of the third missionary journey that he would embark upon. Now, we know that Paul was active in his faith. He wasn't a dead Christian. He was on fire for Christ. And we will learn how through Paul's life, Jesus Christ uh, used him in a in a mighty way and what this mission field for a Christian looks like and how the fact that it's never ending and it's always ongoing. As long as you and I have breath in our lungs, there are things that the Lord would have us to do for his kingdom. And this is what we see in the life of Paul. Um, the mission field will also see in the text this morning that it's not confined to a specific location. Sometimes we get this idea of, you know, and, and yes, for 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 good reason, um, you know, overseas missionaries. But when you hear mission field or when I hear, you know, mission field, you know, my mind will automatically go to somewhere in Africa or somewhere in South America or somewhere in China. And, you know, that that is finding wealth for overseas missionaries, you know, be us being here in America. But that is not, you know, the mission field is not confined to a different country other than America. Uh, the mission field is where you and I are currently at and wherever we may go. There are several main points that I'd like us to focus on this morning. And the first one is this, and I just kind of alluded to it already. God can use you and wants to use you and I right where we're at. Everywhere you and I go is the mission field. This is kind of the first time that we're going to be introduced to the main way uh, that Paul was sustained financially. He was a tent maker by trade, but what we learn from Paul's life is that he used his trade as a mission field. He he did more than just his vocational work there, more than just his trade uh, making tents. He was very open in sharing Jesus Christ, not only in the synagogues, right, but also in his field of work, how he, you know, was his main uh, sustainability for his life financially. He was willing to share the word of God there as well. This shows us that we can be effectively used for Christ no matter what we do for a living. Whatever that is, whatever that job or that career you have, uh, you can be used in that area for sure. Um, and I share this because some are led to believe that their only, the only value that they bring to the church is if they, if, is if they serve in some kind of uh, visible ministry or some visible pos position within the church. And the reality is that that couldn't be further from the truth. Just as important, equally as important um, as those who serve in certain ways within uh, the church building are those who understand the mission of, you know, the commission that Jesus gave and to take Christ to those outside the church walls. We know that 
um, the application of what we learn within the church building or within, you know, the grouping, us coming together as the corporate part of the body, the actual application of what we learn in this setting is outside of here, right? I mean, it's fine and good to understand and know and, and to be taught and, and, and to teach these things because we're commanded to, but we're also commanded. That's the other part of the, the you know, the, the thing that we need to do is we need to actually apply what is learned here to our everyday lives. That's how we see the effectiveness takes place. And that's how we see, you know, healthy, good spiritual fruit begin to be harvest, right? I mean, it would do us absolutely, absolutely no good if we learn all this stuff here and we actually apply nothing at all once we leave this Zoom meeting or when we get into the building, once we leave the building, it's it's kind of pointless if we don't apply what we learn. So we see that this is very important. We are called to be on mission, so this should be a great encouragement that the Lord can use you right where you're at. Look at your own life and look at where you may work or look at who, you know, who you're exposed to. The Lord uh, can use you right there today. That is your mission field, what is right in front of you. The gridiron, as I'd like to say. The second main point is this. You and I can only spend so much time witnessing to people who will inevitably continue to refuse Jesus Christ. We touched on this again briefly last week. There will be those who will deny and reject Jesus Christ. We know this because Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven within the pages of scripture. And so just from that inference alone, we can see that, you know, there's a clear warning that, you know, hell is real. Being separated from Christ for eternity is real. And if people do not receive that gift of salvation and take the blood of Christ seriously, what has been done for them, they will be heading that way. And there are many that are just going to choose this life over the life to come and and a life kept in Jesus Christ. We find here in the context this morning that Paul tried over and over to share Christ crucified with many of these Jews. But uh, there were some that rebuked him for it, for the fact that he was preaching uh, a crucified Messiah and, and a resurrected Messiah. They did not like that idea and they didn't want anything to do with it. It got to the point where he had to move on or he he, you know, uh, shook off his garments and basically said, your blood be on your your heads. And he focused his attention to the Gentiles uh, who would uh, respond to the gospel message. For you and I this morning, we we need to have a, a sense of when enough is enough. There will be times where we're, we're going to need to move on from certain individuals and how we uh, witness and share with them. Now, don't get me wrong in this. The caveat is uh, it, it doesn't mean if those who have rejected Christ in the past, if they tend to come around and all of a sudden now, you know, maybe at five, ten you know, years later or whatever the case may be, now they're they're willing to receive Christ. We should not ignore them and say, oh, yeah, because you, you know. You didn't, uh, you know, weren't interested in Christ when I first shared, you know, Jesus with you that you're done. No, that's that that's not that's that's foolish, right? I mean, I'm I think probably a lot of us have been in that situation where the first time we were approached with who Jesus Christ was and the fact that we were sinners in need of salvation, we may not have responded to the gospel message that first time. So obviously, he's not saying that we are to ignore people when they come back. It's basically saying if you know. Uh, you're kind of beating a dead horse about the situation. You got to know when to move on in that time and, um, you know, focus your energies on other people that may be willing to receive the word of God. 
the Bible speaks about this. Don't cast your, your pearls to swine, right? It's a waste if you do. And so we don't want to be uh, foolish or ignorant in that area. We want to be wise uh, in regards to that. And the third main point for us this morning is this. Whenever we need it, right? Whenever we need it, the Lord will personally encourage you to continue on in the faith. I love the fact that he's close to the brokenhearted, right? He he he's there uh comforting those that know that they need help. Comforting those that know that they're sick that they need a spiritual doctor and he is the one. He is the great physician, right? I love that. Great physician. He's not a witch doctor, right? We have there's some cultures where they have witch doctors and they're doing all kind of other stuff. No, this is this is the great physician, the 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 greatest one who can you know uh, heal every remedy of your spiritual condition, yours and mine. And and whenever we need that encouragement, uh, he's right there. We just have to be tuned in. Our spiritual antennas need to be up, and we need to be aware that the Lord is knocking on the door of our heart, and He's trying to comfort us. He's He's trying to allow us to uh, not take that burden, right? And to put his yoke upon us so that we may be able to get through these enduring times that we're going through. We see that Jesus did this for Paul. He revealed himself in a vision to Paul. Uh, you know, Paul was going through a lot. And, you know, I, I would imagine that it did weigh on him to some extent. And we see that... Uh, you know, Paul did see many come to Christ, but he also experienced much much persecution and, and rebuking for his stance for who Jesus was. And the Lord must have seen it fit for Paul to receive some kind of encouragement. So again, he appeared to him in this vision and he had, you know, uh, basically told him not to be afraid, to continue to share the good news. Um, and that, that's something that we need to hear because you and I, we face difficulties Every day, we all know we're living through, you know, this pandemic and all this civil unrest and just madness going on in our world today. We need encouragement. We need to be encouraged. I don't I don't know how anybody can watch the news uh, and and be sane after a half hour or an hour segment of what you see on you know any of these news stations you know you need Jesus you know and that's why people are so depressed and out of it and and doing drugs and drinking more and you know getting going crazy because if they don't have the Lord and you're watching all the news and stuff you're gonna see you're gonna feel like there's no hope you know what's going on in this world it's just it's a mess you know and people are frantic and scared and petrified and people building doomsday bunkers and all kind of stuff because they just are trying to you know salvage whatever life they can and you know that's not the case we need to run to our savior who's Jesus Christ and not try to formulate all these other things that we think are going to help save us even if we go to Mars what's that going to do right i mean you know good luck you know i don't want to live on Mars that's crazy you know maybe if you're an astronaut and into that that's cool but you know that's not going to save you. You're still going to have a hard time living on Mars with all that dust everywhere. Pretty crazy. Um, you know, we need to draw our confidence and our strength from the Lord. When we draw near to him, he will draw near to us and we can find comfort and confidence that we need in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and unpack these verses. So I'll go back to verses one through three and it reads, after this, Paul left Athens and went on to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently uh, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. 
So real quick, um, just to kind of get a bit of background historically on what's going on with the city of Corinth, we, we, we need to know what was going on there. So we know that Corinth was a major uh, city of the Roman Empire, and it was an important um, you know, crossroads of tr- of trade and travel. It was a port city. So it was, you know, where people would go and come. There was a lot of people, a lot of hustle and bustle, bustle that was going on there. This city was also no- notorious really for its immorality. It was a very immoral place. It was a very uh, liberal place, it, 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 you know, to bring it up to our speed, if you will. In Paul's day, uh, Corinth was already an ancient city. It was, again, like I said before, it was a commercial center with two harbors. Uh, so there was a lot of trade that was going on between them. And there was their northern rival, uh, rival excuse, excuse me, the neighboring city of Athens. So, I mean, if you kind of look at us and where we're at, I mean, I think our closest, closest example would be kind of the San Francisco Bay Area, right? You got the San Francisco Bay, you have the East Bay, you have the South Bay. That's kind of kind of a little bit, I mean, how we can relate it to our time today of what this area looked like, what this region looked like. Um, again, this city was, uh, and I don't even know, I don't even want to really use the word remarkable, but it had an astonishing reputation for loose living, especially uh, sexual immorality. This was like, I mean, they, they they prided themselves on the lifestyles that they lived in, in this way. It was said that in Greek, to act like a Corinthian meant to basically practice fornication and that a Corinthian, uh, uh, you know, somebody who would accompany you if they were a Corinthian, they would basically be uh, looked upon as a prostitute. That was kind of like the relationship, you know, your best friend would be a prostitute. It wouldn't just be your homie that you hang out with. It was someone that you did elicit, you know, bad, not good behavior with. This was the mentality of the Corinthians and they prided themselves on this. Um, And this was permeated in that culture because uh, it was under the umbrella of the worship of Aphrodite, right? The goddess Aphrodite, it was basically like a sex god and also known as Venus, right? The goddess of fertility. So this was just the nature of what went on within that culture. It was, again, a very liberal place with no kind of restraints. There, It just anything goes. It was like um, Hollywood and Las Vegas mixed together in one. So you got you know what I mean? That, that That's the mentality that you have going on here. And um, so there was a lot of wickedness happening. Um, there was a point in time where uh, Rome brutally destroyed this city. And then um, Julius Caesar at some point had, had rebuilt this city. And they, uh, you know, quickly reestablished their former position as being a known for trade. And the immorality just sprouted up again even worse. So this was the environment that Paul walked into here. This is what he witnessed when he came to Corinth, and um, this is what he had to deal with. So um, it, it also signifies kind of, you to have a better understanding, this this is what led him to uh, just kind of speak about this city in the book of Romans. When, um, you know, Paul was describing the Gentile corruption that went on in Romans chapter uh, 1, verses 22 through 32. I'm not going to read it, but that's kind of what he's talking about, the city of Corinth and all the, the immorality and people just doing their own thing and men having relations with one another and women doing the same. And, you know, it, it was that this was the lifestyle that was going on here. But this is the kicker. Why why should we love the Lord so much? 
Because when you look at this city, right, and just what I described and how wicked this city was, despite all the immorality going on within the city of Corinth, God felt it necessary to send his servant Paul there, knowing that because of the hub and the place of, you know, uh, you know, immense social, you know, uh, just diversity that was here, that there were many people that would pass through the city of Corinth and a strong church could be built there to touch lives all throughout the empire. And so we see the mercy and the grace of God, even in this ungodly place, in this place of just, you know, just corruption and wickedness, the Lord felt the need to send his servant there to set up shop and begin to uh, minister to people that really needed the help there. It was a tough city, but Paul felt led to go, and there was much good that could be done there. And remember, Jesus talked about this through Scripture. He said that he didn't come for those who thought they were healthy. He came for those who knew that they were sick and needed a spiritual doctor. Um, the application for us this morning is this. I mean, just look at where you and I live this morning, right? We live in the Bay Area, one of the most, if not the most expensive places to live in the country. I just was watching something last week on the news, and it was talking about how um, at some point in time, remember the you know the average home was going for, what, $700,000, $800,000? Now it's over a million dollars. I mean, you could have a, a two-bedroom shack, and you're paying a million dollars. And, you know, that's besides the point that people that buy those homes that are like that. They have the money to, you know, demolish them and rebuild. But the fact is, um, sustainability is very difficult here. You know, people that work regular jobs, you need people to work at Target. You need people to work at the gas station. You need people to work at the restaurants. How are people surviving out here when it's so crazy, right? And on top of the fact that it's one of the most expensive, if if not the most expensive place to live in the country, it's also for sure the most liberal place in the country. I mean, it just, anything goes (laughs) <laughs> in the Bay Area, right? We have that going on for us. Also, when you look at the statistics, we are the most unchurched region in North America. I mean, if you look at all those statistics, have you ever asked yourself, why Why do I live here? What am I doing living in San Jose? What am I do, doing living in the Bay Area? This is, this is a wild place to live. But as uh, it said in Esther, for such a time as this, to for you and I to reflect the light and the love of Jesus Christ to this dying world around us. That's why we are here. And so I think it's real relatable when you look at the context of the scripture we're going through and you look at our personal situation where we're at. I mean, this this is this is very relatable. Next, we see that um, that Paul met a certain Jew named Aquila with his wife Priscilla and and they came to know one another. It is implied, though it's not necessarily stated, that Aquila and Priscilla were Christians at this time. But it's also possible that Paul led them both to Jesus as they worked together as tent makers and also as Paul would be in the synagogue uh, teaching every week. This began, this relationship between uh, Aquila and Priscilla and Paul, one of the the most important relationships in the New Testament. Because when you look at uh, Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4, Paul speaks to them as being fellow workers and they risk their own lives uh, for for his sake. They put their necks on the line for him. The application for us this morning is this. This shows us the importance of being used right where we are. 
Again, many think that they can't do anything or can't do much for Christ because they're not called to to preach or, you know, whatever some people would think, you know, I, oh, I, I need to be seen or I need to be in the limelight or I need to be on stage or something. And honestly, the reality is that's a lie from the pit of hell because, you know, a pastor, whatever is supposed to be not, I don't want to say super servant, but it's supposed to be someone who's willing to serve. It's not about being up on stage, not about talking. It's just about, you know what, sharing the truth and but living it out. That's the most important thing. You can talk, 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 but if your life does not reflect what you say, then it's absolutely worth nothing. And so um, it's not about these so-called, you know, prestigious positions or what we see as that, but it's about where you are at, how you can be used for the glory of God and how he can get the most out of your life for uh, the glory of his kingdom Um, in your family, on your job, in your school, in your neighborhood. This is what we see in the life of Paul. Wherever he was at, whether he was in the synagogue or whether he was tent making, he was on mission for Jesus Christ. Now, we also see that Paul's tent making was an important part of his ministry. This is the other aspect of it. Um, He recognized that he could be supported by those in ministry. Um, He talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 14. But he voluntarily supported himself in his missionary journeys and his preaching so that no one could accuse him of seeking converts for the sake of him being enriched, right? We all know about, I'm not going to name drop, but you know, when you need this, you know, a billion dollar, you know, jet just to, you know, for the sake of saying that God led me to to believe I need a jet. And so I, I need the tithes and the offerings to come in so I can have this jet. I don't know who knows, maybe they're doing like, you know, other, other big ministries and actually getting food out to people that need it. But I mean, you know, uh, Paul wasn't doing that. He wasn't seeking his own personal gain, uh, you know, from the church. And so he felt led to, you know, to work in a trade where he could support himself. He is what we call pastors that work nowadays outside of the church by vocational. Um, in Judaism, as the culture was back then, it wasn't it wasn't considered proper for a scribe or a rabbi to receive payment for his teaching. So many of them, um, they, they practiced a trade in addition to their study and teaching and studying and teaching of the law. And so this is kind of what we see in the life of Paul in regards to that. Um, we also see what's important in application for us today is that Priscilla and Aquila were, were great companions of Paul. Um, you got to think of Paul. He was constantly kind of on the move, right? He was going from one place to another. And if you have any experience just in life in general of moving a lot, right? Military families do that a lot where they're stationed in one place and then they got to uproot and move. And it kind of that cycle continues over and over. It can be hard to to keep friends, especially for, you know, young younger children, children in school, things of that nature, you know you're constantly making new friends and not keeping friends for a long time and I could imagine that you know it must have been uh, there must have been times of, of loneliness for Paul not that he didn't have the Holy Spirit not that he didn't have relationship with Christ but we are called to be the body of Christ and to have you know companionship within the body have solid believers that we could you know um, you know uh, just have camaraderie with and, and to be able to share times and things with and so that's what kind of uh, Aquila and Priscilla uh, presented Paul was just this this friendship aspect, this fellowship aspect of having that within the body. For us today, we need fellowship with other believers. Lastly, here in this in this portion right here, we see that Claudius, uh, the 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 leader of uh, Rome at that time, he had banished. Uh, excuse me, uh, the Roman Empire had banished Jews from Rome 
because of the constant quarreling, the constant rioting, this this new religion, this new faith of Christianity was causing much division amongst them. And so there was constant back and forth and, and violence going on. And so, uh, you know, he was trying to get rid of that. So he had banished Jews from this region. There was dissension and disorder amongst these uh, Jewish communities because of Christianity. And so that's why we see Aquila and Priscilla leaving Italy and coming to Corinth where they were. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to verses 4 and 5. And it says, uh, speaking of Paul, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Paul was uh, effect, effective in how he reasoned or discussed or debated amongst the Jews and the Greeks. The Greeks were uh, sympathetic towards Judaism, and so they were willing to hear out what Paul was saying. Paul was very bold in his preaching in Corinth. First um, Corinthians chapter 2, we know that Paul talked about it. For I determined to know uh, to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and, he, and him crucified. He wasn't pulling any punches. He I mean, he kept it to the script, right? He kept it to the scriptures. And this is what he believed. And this is what he taught unapologetically. He brought it every time he was at the synagogue. He brought it every time he came across anybody. He was preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Timothy had come, he brought news about how the Christians in Thessalonica were remaining steadfast in their faith. They weren't, you know, reneging on their um what they on their faith and how what their profession was to Christ. And so this brought Paul great joy and it spurred him on in his ministry. He was, you know, encouraged from, you know, the the news that he got from from Timothy. And then we also see that when you look at the scriptures, he answered back by writing First Thessalonians from Corinth. Well, what is the application in all this? How do we see this play out in our own lives? Well, we see clearly the um, from this example that the Lord shifts and he moves pieces, right? He moves his servants wherever he wants, right? Again, I, I've kind of spoke about this earlier. He He's uh, the master chess player, you know, or the grandmaster, right? In chess, that's what you call someone who's really good, the grandmaster. So God is, you know, in essence, the grandmaster, and he chooses to move every piece on the board wherever he wishes, right? We're, he's the potter, we're the clay. We, we should not be surprised when we see shifting and moving going on when it's the Lord's doing, right? When in the Lord is opening doors and closing doors, this is kind of what happens here. Um, you know, you think about it. When, um, when you have someone that you've known for for a long time, right, a, a brother and sister in Christ, and maybe they've moved on, they've moved on to another congregation, or they moved out of state, or they, you know, they've moved out of the city. Um, what happens when you guys happen to meet back up? Um, when you meet back up, I'm sure it's it's super sweet, right? I mean, if you left on um, good terms, maybe even if you didn't leave on good terms, but you know, through time things are reconciled. And what happens when you come back together? It's like man, you have that sweet fellowship, you have that um, that acknowledgement of, you know, wow, time has passed and things have changed, but, you know, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're doing well. And and this is what we see here. This is what was going on with Paul and, and Timothy. Paul was encouraged by the news that Timothy was bringing to Paul. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, while Paul was in Corinth, 
uh, financial support also arrived from the Christians in Philippi, and he was able to put aside tent making for a season and concentrate more fully on the task at hand of building uh, up the church in Corinth. So that's what was going on in that portion of the scriptures this morning. So um, we'll continue on into verses uh, 6 through 8. And it says, this is speaking of those that heard Paul teaching in the synagogue. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next to next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So there was this dissension. There was this there was this defiance that went on within the synagogue and there were some who opposed Jesus Christ being the Messiah and they were not in line with him being the resurrected Savior. All of this rejection, all of this blasphemy was not directed at Paul, even though he was the messenger. This was directed at the deity of Jesus Christ, because you can't blasphemy a person, right? You can only blasphemy someone that's put in a position of higher authority that is God. And so this uh, this revilement, as the scripture says, this was directed at Jesus Christ. And we know that Paul already had strongly sensed that his responsibility was to preach to the Jews first. You can find that in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. But when this message was continually rejected, he didn't waste any time going to the Gentiles, going to the next people, going to whoever he saw that was willing, that was another option to spread the gospel to. Paul fulfilled the spirit of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. We we know this verse and it says, <clears throat> Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you in pieces. So the application for us this morning is, when people are determined to reject the gospel, we should not continue to keep trying to uh, you know, witness to them until that door is open again. There's going to come a time with some people where you're going to have to say, you know what, I I'm going to allow you to be and, and I'm going to stop talking and allow the Holy Spirit to, you know, to convict that person's heart. But these times will come. Next, we see that Paul shook the dust off of his garments. Well, what did this mean? What was the symbolism of him shaking off his garments? Was he just you know, dirty? Was he just have dirt on his on his garments and he was like trying to get trying to get clean and getting out of there? We know that they wore sandals and they didn't have wood floors, so was that the case or was there something more to it? Well Paul did this so that not a speck of dust from the synagogue would remain on his clothes, much less his sandals. This was a dramatic way of him expressing his rejection of their rejection, right? So they rejected him, but he's like, nah, man, like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm rebuking you. Like, you know, the, your blood is on your heads. I'm, I'm clean. I'm innocent of this. I shared with you the truth. I've tried to get you to understand, to realize your position and how you need the Savior and the Savior is Jesus Christ. You refuse, then, you know, kind of that's how it's going to be. We see, you know, uh, Pharaoh's a great example. 
time and time again, Moses told him, I mean, all those plagues, all that went on. I mean, it got to a point where it's like, okay, well, you know what? You're going to have it your way. This is going to be your demise. And he tried to get through that parted Red Sea and he ended up dying and drowning in that. And unfortunately, that is going to happen to some people who continue to refuse. Um, the reality is we we shouldn't be pushovers, right? We, sh- You know, I, I hate the idea of, of Christians being weak of being, uh, dare I say it, uh, you know, this person's a wussy, um, you know, not, not that you have to be all macho and, and all that. And, and, oh, you got muscles. That means you're a man. That's, that's fake too. But what I'm saying is you got to have some kind of backbone. You can't be spineless living for Christ. That's not how Jesus was. He was, you know, he, he, uh, you know, is, you know, power under control, but he was not weak by any means. He was not some, you know, just person that just could be, you know, manipulated and do whatever. No, you, you, you have strength. Your strength is in Christ. And when you sense that rejection is continuous and it's this cycle, you have to know and sense by the Holy Spirit when it is time to move on. Um, again, Jesus was far from a pushover. Remember, he wasn't happy with the fact that these money changers were were making, you know, his father's house a den of thieves and and what they were doing. And and, I mean, he went up in there with a righteous anger and he was turning over tables and telling them to get out. And, you know, that that's not a sign of a weak God to me. Right. And so I, I don't think we have the proper perspective when we look at ourselves or we look at Christians. It's like it ain't Ned Flanders. You know, it ain't Ned Flanders. You have that meekness, right? But you also need to have that sternness when the time calls for it, right? Um, gentle as doves uh, and, and vipers as well. So not to be a pushover. Um, there was one particular leader in the synagogue that the Bible speaks about. And this man, uh, this man's name, well, that this was Crispus. I'm getting ahead of myself. But now we're introduced to a man named Titus Justice. And he was a God-fearing man who lived next to the synagogue. And speaking of this man, uh, Crispus, he said it says that he was the ruler of the synagogue and he believed on the Lord with all of his household. Now, this speaks to the meekness that I was just talking about because this shows that Paul treated the Jews of Corinth with love and grace even after they rejected him and his message, meaning um, he didn't forbid them to not come to Jesus. He was just merely switching his focus and saying, you know what, I'm going to turn my my evangelism efforts to the Gentiles. But if you do choose to change your ways and you want to receive Jesus Christ, I mean, I'm here to show you. I'm here to teach you. I'm here to, you know, fellowship with you. That's fine. But again, he left the opportunity to them. And I think that's the same for us as well. There's only so much that you and I can do with certain people. And then you have to move on and find, and the Lord will put in your path other people that you can share the word of God with. Um, Crispus was one of these few in Corinth whom Paul personally baptized. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 14. And then many of the Corinthians hearing and believing they were baptized. Paul told us what kind of people these Corinthians were in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, verse 26. And it tells us that for you see their calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. And the application for us is this, that we are 
never to doubt who we think is willing to accept Jesus Christ and who isn't, because usually it's the most unlikely characters that come to know Jesus Christ, right? And so our job is not to try to pinpoint based on what someone's background is, what what someone's physical makeup is, what someone's cultural background is, what someone's race is, that that's going to determine, oh, well, they're kind of a shoe in to receive Christ. No, it's, you know, we come to every single person with the same heart, you know, um, to share the truth in love and pray that this individual may receive the Lord. But again, it's almost like, um, oh gosh, why am I, why am I losing his, his, uh, his name right there, right now. Um, Naaman, right? Naaman was like, I'm prestigious. I'm not, I'm not jumping in there. You tripping? You telling me jumping in there? There's got to be a better way that I can get saved because I am Naaman and I'm important, right? Um, well, he did get saved, but again, you look at it and it's like, Maybe that maybe that person who's who's homeless, who's down and out or someone who, you know, you just man, that person can never be saved. I I can't see how they could ever come to know Jesus. Don't put it past the Lord to save somebody like that because he will and he has. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap it up and look at our last two verses for the morning. Verses nine through eleven. And it says, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he, speaking of Paul, stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Here we see the the humanity of Paul. Um, you know, this is kind of the first glimpse um, besides, you know, when we saw, you know, him on the D- Damascus road before he his name was changed to Paul, where you, you kind of seen some some vulnerability in Paul. Uh, he was a regular person. He was a regular man with concerns and some f- some fears. I mean, verse nine implies this, that he was afraid. Uh, possibly for his life because of the persecution that he was beginning to see more and more and and here in Corinth. But more than likely, it may have been um, him, you know, feeling that uh, his work was being threatened, that that he wouldn't be able to carry out and finish the work, complete the work that the Lord had for him to do. And we know this because Jesus told him, go on, continue on and keep speaking. Do not be silent. And many times, um, in your life, in my life, we need this same kind of encouragement so we don't become discouraged by those who continually uh, tend to re- reject the gospel or we look at our situation or we look at, you know, how come, you know, there aren't so many people here like, you know, there were before, or, you know, I know those are things that I wrestle with. But again, it's not a numbers game. It's not about that, right? We can't allow ourselves to be dragged into, you know, what we think, our preconceived idea of what we think church is supposed to look like, what our preconceived idea of what a relationship with God is supposed to look like, because um, we're, we're, we're going to be disappointed, right? We need to look to the Bible. We need to look to Jesus Christ and get our source of understanding from him alone. That way we'll be in a better place to to deal with the times when we are discouraged, when we do sense, you know, man, I, I kind of feel, uh, you know, I'm not as confident as I need to be. Uh, the application for us this morning is this. The solution is simply to obey Jesus' commands, to not be afraid, right? And, and, and to keep speaking, to keep sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and don't be silent. That's it. To keep getting our encouragement from the word of God and get God's word out to whoever we come in contact with. Uh, Jesus didn't 
didn't tell Paul that his opponents wouldn't try to stop him, only that they would not be successful in their attacks to try to hurt him. Jesus gave Paul the assurance, I am with you, for I am with you, right? This promise was the basis of God's command to not be afraid and continue to share the gospel. When when you and I truly understand this, right? When we take this personal and we take this message to our own personal hearts, when we understand what this means and who's saying it, it begins to be enough, right? He is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. When we understand that he is with us, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's with us, right? That is an encouragement. We must learn to take God at his word and what he says, what his promises are. We have to bank on those promises. Next, we see the statement, for I have many people in this city. This additional promise was a constant assurance to Paul who may have had doubts uh, about the survival and the health of the Corinthian church. Because again, let's face this, he, he, w- he was in the middle of, you know, Holly Vegas. He, I mean, it was Hollywood and Vegas mixed together. There was so much ungodliness. There was so much wickedness going on. Maybe Paul thought in his mind, how could, how could a church survive here when, you know, peop- just, just, you know, ungodliness is running rampant. But the Lord was encouraging him to continue on. His ministry at Corinth was, is described simply as teaching the word of God among them. This is what his main focus was, was teaching the word of God. The primary responsibility of any pastor or or, or, or or biblical teacher, Bible teacher, is to preach and teach the word of God without apology. That's it. Um, and unfortunately today, that's not common and that's not popular. There are some who, who teach the Bible, but they add other things to the Bible. They say, well, I'm going to teach from the Bible, but I also have these you know, self-help books and these other things that we can pull from. And then there's other people who will uh, not teach the Bible at all, and they call it church. And it's just you know, kind of, uh, again, this whole self-help, how you can be your best person and how you can make this your life the best now. And you know, these, these are things that we have to weed out because the Bible is clear. Uh, the Word of God needs to be taught correctly in the proper context obviously and in love and in truth that is what the responsibility of a pastor or a bible teacher is and to and to in, in ensure that they're checking the 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 health and the spiritual you know health of the flock that is what their job is not um creating all these different things and activities those things are good and well and fine but if uh you know what slips through the cracks is the word of god being taught then all you have uh, is an organization, not an organism. You just have a, you know, like a little fun group. You have a place where people can be social and whatnot, but they're not having any kind of real spiritual experience with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need preachers and teachers of the Word to be prayed up, studied up, full of the Holy Spirit, who teach the Word of God correctly, without apology, in truth, and in love. Lastly, we see that the duration of Paul's stay in Corinth shows where his heart was in the ministry. He wasn't an in-and-out evangelist. He was a man committed to making disciples. Remember, the first step, the first part was just planting the church. But he didn't want to just merely plant churches. He wanted to plant churches, but he also wanted to see spiritual development. He wanted to see uh, spiritual maturity in these men and women in these locations for them to be able to you know, rise up and to be able to be used for the Lord. 
Uh, today, we need to make up our minds once and for all. Where do we stand? What is our purpose? What do we see the Lord using us to do? And in this 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 congregation, this group of Resilient Life Church, that's what we all need, right? In order for us to thrive in Christ and continue on in a healthy manner within this part of the body, we all uh, contribute something very unique and, 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 and big to this body. And so um, I just encourage us to seek the Lord out as how he wants to use us so we can know that we are fulfilling our purposes in the Lord. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again just for the timeliness of your word, Lord. We, we know that you speak to our hearts every time we open up the Bible, Lord, and there's so much truth that you have for us. And Lord, we want to be those that uh, hear from you and apply what we what we learn, Lord. We want to be those that stand for your truth, Lord, uh, despite the opposition, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to draw our encouragement and our strength from you, that we would not be discouraged when we see uh, the world around us, Lord, but that we look at every uh, thing that may not be, uh, you know, what we think how it should line up as an opportunity, Lord. May situations, may days that we live be opportunities for us to share you more and more to those around us. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.